Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. We're in this series called um, Life-Giving Habits. That's where we're at. And just to get you ready, um, you're going to want a program, all right? And you're going to want a pen. So if you don't have a program, our ushers around back, they'll walk down, just raise your hand, look at them, and uh, they'll hand you one of these. Because we're going to do an assessment in just a minute. And for those of you online, uh, super glad that you're with us. Just uh, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, because um, you're going to want to be able to reflect on what we're talking about today. I'm going to walk you through this assessment Life-giving habits. Let me tell you why we've done this series. In 2023, the U.S. Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, he issued an epidemic warning. This year, an epidemic warning. And no, it wasn't COVID-19. His epidemic warning, do you know what it was about? Loneliness. It was about people feeling invisible, isolated, and insignificant. You're like, well, how bad could loneliness be? Let me quote to you what he wrote. Loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. Then he writes this. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. I find that hard to believe. But he's smarter than I am, so... You can either have friends or take a smoking, I guess. I mean, like, if you have a lot of friends, feel free. Like, let's not do either, right? I mean, loneliness, though. He's like, it's an epidemic. People don't have friends. They don't have enough friends. And the friends they have, they're, they're just, they're shallow. Like, your friendships are shallow. That's what he's saying. And it has an impact on our, on our health. Now, listen, have we not heard a ton in the last three years about emotional and mental health? This is actually why we launched this series. See, for the last three years, as I've watched our, our, our country, the church culture, I've been looking at this fear, anxiety, anger, despair, and loneliness. All five of those, toxic emotions. And here's what we know about toxic emotions. They lead to toxic behaviors. So, This is why we launched this series called Life-Giving Habits. See, I I was kind of afraid, like, hey, let's do a a series on toxic emotions. And you highlight the toxic emotions, and what do people remember? The toxic emotions, right? So we wanted to shift gears and show the positive side of this. And, man, I've waited a couple years to really launch this and do this well. If you remember this uh, this diagram, this is the concept for the the entire series. Uh, When we become Christians, God has for us this new life, right? This new life, and I'm going to call it a place of spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. You can use the words mental health, um, emotional health over there, but it's a place of maturity. And if you remember week one, we talked about Samson, right? And we looked at his life, and it was a total disaster because his character did not match his calling. He, He was an emotional child, even though he was a really big, strong man. Uh, in week two, we actually went to the, uh, we looked at the, the book of Ephesus. 
And we came across this, this statement that says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And Jesus invites us to do this. In your life, my life, Jesus invites us to have our character match our calling. And it's a place of maturity. And if you were with us last week, we actually backed up a little bit in chapter three of the book of Ephesians. And we looked at this in this new life that he invites us to. He and God invites us to discover a new love, a new power that we live by, and a brand new purpose to glorify God, okay? If you missed the first two weeks, there it is. We did it in about two minutes. The problem is this though. Let's go back to that diagram, Dave. Uh, the problem is this. There are some obstacles to experiencing that new life that new love, that, that new power, and that new purpose. And the obstacle, go to the previous one, Dave, real quick. There we go, there we go. Is fear, anxiety, anger, despair. You could put loneliness in there, right? How do you bust through? How do you conquer the obstacles of toxic emotions? It, it, here's why this matters so much. What does fear lead to? Think about it in your own life. When you were afraid, what did it lead to? It can lead to habits of avoidance, procrastination, control issues, what about the fear of anxiety? It can lead to the habits of paralysis, addiction, and trying to numb out. What about the habits of anger? Toxic anger can lead to the habits of outbursts, violence, criticism. And we don't actually ever get to experience this new life that Jesus has for us. So this is where we're at. I want to make sure that we totally understand what we're talking about in this new life when we talk about emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. So walk with me through this. What is emotional intelligence? Um, I think I put this in your notes. A guy by the name of Steve Cuss. Steve Cuss, unfortunate last name, I know. C-U-S-S. He does this work and writes this book called The Capable Life. He does a lot of work with anxiety. But he talks about this in terms of, uh, I'm going to use it to talk about not just, not anxiety, but the concept of emotional intelligence. And he shows these four sectors. Dave, the next one, Perfect. Emotional intelligence, it's this. It's understanding the four spaces. Here's the four spaces. It's first, what's going on in me? Do you see that up there? Upper left, the red dot. When you can understand what's going on in you. Why are you happy? Why are you sad? Why are you anxious? What are your triggers? What are the things that, that help you experience real life? Having emotional intelligence is understanding that space in me. It also goes to this. It's understanding the space, drop down, in them. What's happening in my spouse? What are her triggers? What are, what are his triggers? What's happening in my kids? What's happening in my coworkers? It's understanding emotionally where they're at. It's also this. It's what's happening between us. I don't know, man. There's something wrong between my kids, man. They're not telling me stuff, and I don't know what's going on. And then, Come on, parents. You've been there, right? What's going on in, not just in them, but between us and our relationship? And then the next one, when you're on the outside and you look into a group, what's happening among them? Emotionally intelligent people are aware of what is happening in those four spaces. But here's the problem. You can be really emotionally intelligent and not emotionally mature. I'll give you an example. I know people like this. Oh, they understand the spaces really, really well. And they turn around and manipulate people for their good. Oh, I know what your triggers are. I know what makes you feel good. And I'm going to trigger you or make you feel good so that I can get something out of you. Is that person emotionally mature? 
No. The emotionally mature people, what is emotional maturity? It moves beyond understanding the emotions to behaving and influencing people towards godly behavior, towards something that is good. Um, Maturity is not based on age. We all know that, right? It's actually based on, it's based on relationships. It's based on your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Now, that might shock some of you. You might not actually believe me. Here's why I bring this up. Can people claim to be spiritually mature and yet remain emotionally immature? Have you met somebody my age? Maybe older because I'm super young. You laughed at me. And they've been a Christian for like 30 years. And yet you look at the last 30 years of their life and in the wake of their relationships is a lot of wreckage. Have you met people like that? Who claim great spiritual maturity, but yet emotionally and relationally, there's wreckage in their life. The reality is this. I think the answer to this question, can people claim to be spiritually mature and yet emotionally immature? The answer to that is no. Our emotional maturity actually reveals our spiritual maturity. Well, let me prove it to you. Here's what the scripture says. Paul states it this way in Galatians 5.16. He says this, for the entire law. Now, pause. The whole law, what we call the, the Old Testament. He's like, the law, right? All of that. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now, you might be familiar with like, when someone asked Jesus, like, hey, well, how would you summarize the law, right? And what, one of the guys answered, he said, well, love God and love people, right? And isn't that how you would say Like, hey, what's Christian life all about? Well, it's like, love God, love people. Paul, though, later on, after Jesus, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Not two, one. Here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the summary of the law in the Gospels was this, love God, love people, right? But he's like this. I can tell how you're doing with God in the way that you love each other because people cannot claim great spiritual maturity when there's a wreckage of relationships in their life. Paul's just saying this, I'm going to look at how you love each other. Love your neighbors yourself and your capacity to do that. The actuality of it happening, not your good intentions. That actually reveals our spiritual maturity. So with that, how we love people our emotional maturity reveals our spiritual maturity. Um, <clears throat> for us to grow up into this question, what's the target? Like, like, what are we aiming for? Dave, go back to the new life diagram real quick. <clears throat> if we look all the way on the, the other side, the new life. So if, if it's not fear, anxiety, anger, and habits, and despair, like if, if it's not bad habits there, like, so what's the actual target of new life? Because how do you know what you're aiming for? How do you know what you're trying to grow up like? Um, if we have a target, we'll better know how to like, how do I do that? Here's the awesome news. The target is all over the New Testament. I'm going to give you three scriptures that I think primarily discuss what it looks like to be a mature follower of Jesus. I, I put them in your notes there. Let me read these to you. Be completely humble. This is Ephesians 4.2. Be completely, here it is, humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, 
making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's six words there that describe a mature follower of Jesus. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. You're in front of this verse probably. But the fruit of the spirit is love. You know this verse. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine more. And there's some overlap between those verses. Uh, James writes it this way. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, it's pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Nine more. Now, again, there's some overlap. But uh, here's where we're going to have a little fun. You ready? In your notes, there's a chart there. All I did was I took all of those descriptive terms of what a mature follower of Jesus looks like, and I listed them on the left-hand side. And right next to that, there's a one. And if you look across, then there's a two, a three, a four, and a five. And on the opposite, the right-hand side, I wrote a word. I made it up myself, okay? I wrote a word that I thought might be the opposite. Here's what we get to do this morning. Are you ready? We're going to take an assessment. And for you at home, you got to take this assessment as well. Here's what I want you to do. You can cover up your answers. That's totally fine. No peeking at your neighbor. I want you to score yourself. A one, two, three, four, or five. I'll walk you through this so you don't have to get ahead. One through five. One means you're strong and mature in that area. A five means that you're pretty immature in that area. And then we left other options for you, okay? But there's two rules to this, okay? Number one is this. You have to be honest. Rule number two. If you score all ones, refer back to rule number one. All right? If I was going to give you more rules, I'd be like, you can't score all fives. Right? There's no like self-deprecating, I'm a terrible human being. Like, no, you're not. You can't score all threes either, all right? Can't be like, yeah, I'm totally average, straight down the middle. Are you right? So now you're ready. Here we go. And at home, right, you're gonna have to write these words down because you don't have the outline, but here it goes. I'm gonna pull mine out. <clears throat> Humble. That means you're thinking of others, you're putting them first. Humble or arrogant. One, two, three, four, or five. Just put a little check in the box. Gentle or harsh? By the way, if your spouse is doing this and you're not, like, come on now. How about patient versus demanding? And you might be thinking, I'm patient as long as people do things when I want them to. I'm totally patient. You missed the point. What about bearing? And it it talks about like bearing in love. So when, when there's someone who's just weak and struggling or they're, they're not as nice as maybe you like you bear with them in love as opposed to just being intolerant intolerant and pushing them aside what about unity versus divisive all you have to do is look at the wake of relationships in your life is there a lot of unity there because of you or is there a lot of division there because of you love or ambivalent now you might have thought i would have wrote hate huh and I don't think the opposite of love is actually hate. I think the opposite of love is ambivalent. Like, I just don't care. How do you score yourself? Peace, calmness versus anxious or uptight. What about kindness versus mean? And please, you can't grade kindness off of intent. 
I intended to be kind. No, no, no. What do people feel when they're around you? Goodness. Selfishness. Goodness is this. You, you show acts of goodness to people. Like you, you do things for them. And I think the opposite of that isn't meanness. It's actually just selfishness. You're so busy thinking about yourself that you can't do good for others. Faithfulness. Man, you stick to it. You stick with people. You follow through or just wishy-washy. Self-control versus self-indulgent. You know what gets in the way of, of self-control? Like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I, I always do what I say I'm going to do. It's just the, like, self-indulgent. Like, we get this craving. We're like, ah, oh, here we go. Pure. Dirty. <laughs> I didn't know what else to write there. <laughs> you're like, everyone's going to score high on this, right? Because you're like, I can't check anything near dirty, right? But, like, listen, you grow up. You grew up in some kind of context with the past, and I'm not saying you're living in the past, but there's some stuff that goes on in our mouth, in our minds, in our lives, and it's not all pure. Try and score yourself honestly. Considerate versus uncaring. Submissive versus pushy. Are you good just giving other people their way? Like, listen, I'm good with just giving you your way, or do you always have to have my way? Mercy versus revenge. Mercy is when someone has done you wrong and you do not retaliate and you show them mercy. What about good fruit versus wreckage? Again, this is the wake of relationships in your path. Is there a lot of good fruit there? A lot of health? Or is there wreckage? Impartial versus biased. I know we all have biases, but do we act on them? Sincere versus fake. Maybe the question to ask yourself is, no matter who you're around, can you, can you be yourself? Because no one's going to be like, I'm so fake. I love being fake. No, no. Maybe you're a four in that because you wouldn't say, oh, I, I try to be fake. Maybe the reality is you really can't, you struggle to be yourself around people. How'd you do? Pretty good? Awesome. All ones and twos, right? Uh, by the way, there is no rubric for this. Like, hey, if you scored a, uh, a 14 or lower, then you are super mature. Like, I don't have, this is a so, so a, like non-scientific test in here. Um, but here's what I'd like to do. Go ahead and lean over at your neighbors and take a look at what they scored themselves. And look at them and just go, do better. Just kidding. It's terrible. By the way, I will say this. If you really want to know how you score on this, take this same assessment, uh, copy it, and give it to your spouse, your kids, your parents, and your coworkers. They'll be honest. And then you'll find out how you really come across to people. This series is called Life-Giving Habits. So how does a person change, grow, and mature? How do you move it from a four to a three? How do you move it from a, a three to a two, a two to a one? I actually introduce you to the very first habit I'm going to talk about today. I'm only going to talk about two habits. I already introduced you to you when we did the assessment, when I said this. Would you reflect on your life and consider who you have been and give yourself a rating of one to five? The habit I want to talk about is the habit of reflection. Reflection is this. It's creating room for you to think. 
and think about where you have been and who you are to think about your maturity in the four spaces. What's happening in you? Because what happens in us is going to happen through us. I mean, the scriptures reveal this, whatever is in a person's heart will eventually come out their mouth. So you have to ask the question, reflect on this. What is actually happening in me, God? There's some good things in there, and there's some things that I, I don't think are, are godly, good, pure, innocent, helpful. And then it's the question, what's happening in the other people around me? Do, do I understand this? Could you reflect on that? Because kindness and goodness towards other people understands who they are and what they need so that when we actually come together and what happens between us is actually helpful. The fourth is just what's happening between them so that we might be able to step in and be a person of peace. Reflection is this. It's looking at your habits. It's looking at the, the condition of your own relationships, your emotions, what drives you. You're also reflecting on the kind of person that God wants you to be. And as a Christian, see, reflection is one thing. Christian reflection or reflection by a Christian is actually this. You're thinking, what is God inviting you to? What kind of life? How is he inviting you to change? So let me show you where this shows up in the scriptures, because I've talked a lot about like emotional health, emotional maturity. And some of you are looking at me like, is this even Christian? Sounds like a bunch of psychology. Take a look at this. Mark chapter 4, verse 24 says this. Consider carefully. And if that word doesn't mean reflection, I don't know what does. I want you to carefully think about and consider this. Jesus is saying, reflect on this for a moment. Reflect on what? Here's what it says. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. Then he gives his point. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He's trying to make this point so that people will grow up. And he's like, pause. He could have just given them the point. Hey, this is what you need to know. He's like, no, no, no. I want you to carefully process this, reflect on this, and think about this. Do you think that the first reading of a verse like that, we're like, oh yeah, I totally know what that means. And I totally know how I'm supposed to live that out in my life, right? I don't. I'm like, first of all, I'm not even sure what that means. So I have to back up and understand what it means. And then I have to ask Jesus this question. So what do you want me to do? What does maturity look like? So the power of reflection is this. Are you reflecting on what God's word is speaking to you? Luke 12, 22 says, therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life. It's a verse about anxiety. What you will eat or about your body, what you're aware for life is more than food, the body more than clothes. And then it says this, consider the ravens. Think about, reflect on the birds. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. He goes on to say this, look at the flowers in the fields. He says, consider them. How spiritual could this be? Go sit in a field and look at the flowers. This is what Jesus is telling them to do and reflect. That flower's pretty. No one took care of it, just 
Those California poppies, they just show up every year. And they're pretty. And Jesus says, God took care of them. Aren't you more important? See, the problem is some of us don't think we're worthy of being loved by God, and you are. And all you got to do is reflect on the birds that fly around and take a look at the, the vegetation that God cares for. Do you see what I'm saying? There's reflection built into the scriptures here. I'm not done yet. <clears throat> the next reflection, Romans 11:22. it says, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. You want to reflect? Reflect on who God is. It says, the sternness, consider, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. See, we pick God's favorite attributes and go, mm, that's God. And then we get to another verse that says, oh, consider his kindness, but also his sternness. And you're like, I like the kindness. I'll just think about that. No, reflect on who God is. Because you can reflect on him and you will never get to the depth of who he is. Yes, he's loving. But you know our God is a God of justice and that has implications on our life. Do we reflect about God's attributes? Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider how many ways spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's about considering your interaction with people. How do you encourage them? How do you build them up? How do you love people? Do you reflect on other people to, to the extent you go, man, they need something. Something's not right in their life. God, what can I do to step in and be an encouragement to them? Some of you are so good at this, you know it instantly. I'm not one of those. I'm better, way better with like judgment, right? That's natural to me. <laughs> but what about kindness and encouragement? To think about what someone needs. It's reflection. And then it gets to this. Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What is that about? It's about toxic habits. Let's consider, think about this. How do you get rid of all those toxic habits that you have? And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What is that? It doesn't mean get a statue of Jesus and look at it. It doesn't mean like, okay, where's Jesus? I got to fix my eyes on him. Well, what is it? It's reflecting on him. Who is he? Well, what has he done for us? It goes on to say this. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So you're reflecting on where he has been and what he's done. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to this. Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Reflect on who Jesus is. I know this sounds so simple, right? Like, pastor, are we getting to a deeper point? Like something that might actually grab my attention and grab my heart. <clears throat> Here's the truth. I think we're horrible at reflection. Here's why. We cannot jam our schedules full of activities and fun and work and also live a life of reflection. A, a schedule that is jam-packed with things without reflection will lead to an emotionally and spiritually immature life. Our society, the Silicon Valley, we're terrible at this. 
Um, this is actually my reality. Uh, I've spent a lot of years meeting with people. And I've realized in the last probably five years, I call it coaching. I coach people. I get these couples who want to get married and they're like, hey, could we do premarital counseling? I'm like, sure. I call it coaching. They're trying to build a platform for a healthy marriage. And so I'm coaching them how to move forward in that. See, counseling looks a lot at your past, hoping you'll make sense of today. Coaching though is about, so where are you at now? Where's here? And where is there? Where do you want to be? And the coach just coaches them how to move forward on that. I coach married couples who kind of get stuck in their relationship. How do we move forward in a healthy way? I've ended up coaching couples on the brink of divorce. Um, I end up coaching people who are kind of in the middle of a career and they're like, what do I do here? I'm like, well, let's meet and talk. I found myself coaching people who spiritually get stuck and they're like, I'm not growing. How do I, well, let's talk about how to move forward. I'm coaching on that too. And uh, so here's what I did. I was like, you know what? I want to explore this more. And so I, I took this coaching course, started doing this transformational coaching course. And in the course, though, you show up for two days and you get coached by other people. And, and here's what they ask you. So what would you like to be coached on? First of all, I don't know who my coach is, so I don't know how much I trust them, right? So I'm going to pick something that's not too revealing. And so I, before the course, I sat down. I was like, okay, what do I want to be coached on? I had no idea. Uh, think about this. If I asked you, what would you like to be coached on? Where do you feel a little bit stuck and like you'd like to move forward or see some progress? Like, what would you want to be coached on? Some of you know right away. I didn't know. I had to sit there for like 30 minutes. You know what struck me? I think it was revealing for me that my truth and my reality was this, is that I did not have enough reflection time in my life. You see, I spend a lot of my time considering next Sunday's message and the next series coming up and how our staff is doing and how our church is doing and how we can move things forward. And I'm reflecting on that a lot. And I think recently God's been revealing to me that I'm not reflecting on me. What's happening in me between God and me. What's happening between me? Actually, I spend more time thinking about our marriage and our parenting than I do what is happening in me. I don't know if that resonates with you or not, or if you find yourself rowing that same boat, but that's where I've been at. And doesn't it sound like, well, doesn't that sound like a daily devotion? You know, you wake up in the morning, you open your Bible, you talk to God, and you're like, oh, what am I learning in the scriptures? And that, that's like your reflection time. Maybe. But for how many of us, we open the Bible and all we ask is, what does that mean? And we're like learning and it's about a mental process. But we don't translate it to, all right, God, so how do I live that out? But see, even that's not complete reflection. Reflection is, hey, God, over the last couple of days, where have I been? What have I done? Have I caused good? Have I caused harm? I just think we run through life without an awful lot of reflection time. To ask, God, what do you want to say to me so that I can actually live out this new life in Christ? So let me just ask you this. How's your reflection time? Is God involved in it? 
to the point where he shows you what that new life looks like and how to walk in it. Let me give you one more habit. We're going to go through this pretty quick and, um, and we'll be done. It's the habit of prayer. I want to just show you two powerful prayers in your reflection time with God. I think we can actually learn something from addiction recovery ministry. There's a common prayer there that goes like this. God, I am powerless to change who I am. I know it goes against what your mama taught you. (laughs) Your mama taught you, you can do anything. Not true. Not even close to being true. Your kid went to school and all of a sudden you're like, no, he's horrible in chemistry. Like we should do something else. You know, when it comes to our toxic habits, it's a great prayer. God, I'm actually powerless against this. Um, And you're thinking, is that actually true? Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform to the toxicness, the brokenness of our world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what it doesn't say. Go transform yourself. Go change yourself. It says you be transformed. Who's doing the transforming? It's God in you. By the renewing of your mind. See, you have a responsibility and God has a responsibility. Your responsibility is this. Put things in your mind, in front of your eyes. Put them in your life that are filled with truth and goodness. And in doing that, it is God who will change you. So God, I actually am powerless without you to change. Because he's the one who will change you. Listen to how Jesus puts it. John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Remain in me, stay connected to me, reflect on me, think about me. Spend time with me. If you are connected to me, here's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to bear much fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy, peace, patience, kindness. See, you don't go, hey, you know, I'm going to reflect on my life. I'm going to try and be more loving. Doesn't work that way. I'm going to reflect on the goodness of Jesus, what it is that he has done for me. Allow him to allow the reflection in my life and ask him, God, what are you inviting me to do? Jesus, what do you want to do in me? And as he shows me the right steps to take, I take them. Galatians, after it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, do everything you can to stay in step with the Spirit. In the morning, open my word. God, I'm praying. I'm reflect on my life. What do you want me to do? How do I live this out? He shows me one thing, step. Step. You stay in step with the Spirit. You know what else I learned in coaching? Other than the fact that my reflection time was horrible? <laughs> In about a 10-minute conversation, sometimes a 20-minute conversation, sometimes a 30-minute conversation in coaching, the thing that I thought I was so stuck in, I actually had some steps I could take. In this coaching course, you're literally like, you're going through, in two days, you're going through probably eight different coaching scenarios where you're getting coached. They're like, hey, so tell me, what do you think you can do about that? What's within your control that you can like take a step forward? And I was like, you know, I think I could do this. Man, I thought I was so smart. I thought I was like doing all the things I could be doing in my life to get unstuck from the things I, I might be stuck in. You know what I realized? In my lack of reflection time, I actually felt more stuck 
And if I am staying in step with the Spirit in a 30-minute conversation, I was like, there is something I can do. And God, is, as he reveals that, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to walk in obedience. I think our prayer of saying, God, I'm powerless actually to move forward without you, but in you and with you, it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The prayer is this, God, help me to remain reliant on you. Hey, Dave, let's go back to the new life diagram, and I want to end up with this. How is your habit of reflection and your habit of prayer? You see, the goal is to walk in this new life. I mean, everyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But somehow in the midst of there, these toxic emotions create toxic behaviors. Let me make this super clear. This is in your notes. The goal of the Christian life is not to have great habits. It's not the point. You know who had great habits that walked around in Jesus's time? It was the Pharisees. They had great habits. And they're like, hey, look at all the buttons and brownie buttons I got. Look at all the awards I got for like Bible memory verses. Like, woo, look at it. And they're all prideful about it. And Jesus is like, you guys are a bunch of snakes. The point is not to have good habits. Habits are a tool to get to this place of the new life where you're experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, the, the gift of community with each other. This relationship with God, that's the point. But habits, good habits, are the pathway to this new life. And next week, we'll talk about some more of these habits. This week, I just want to simply ask this question. How's your reflection, your habit of reflection? And how's your habit of conversing with God to say, Jesus, I deeply need you if I'm ever going to be transformed? And we'll pick it up next week. So let's pause and let's pray. Lord, um, that was a lot for us to grasp. Lord, I pray in this room at this moment that you would put something on our minds, something on our hearts that, um, that you needed us to hear. And I pray that we would sense this, that there's an invitation from you to take a step forward in our maturity. And I don't know, God, if that begins with an apology for where we've been or those we've harmed. But I know it's about moving forward, God. So would you help us to know what you're inviting us to? Lord, I pray that for all of us, that in the next couple days, we would build even 10 minutes into our schedule of reflection and then do it again and again so that it becomes a habit in our life. Jesus, we need you. I thank you that you're not done with us yet, that you're changing us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to walk in obedience as you show us the truth. And everybody said, amen.